As a vibrant part of campus life, our chapel gathering at Trinity Western creates opportunities for us to hear and be changed by God's story in Jesus through music, teaching, prayer, scripture reading, and storytelling. We're glad you're listening in today. We hope that you encounter God's heart for you and the world. Wading through suffering in its many forms is draining. It requires focused energy and thought. And, and even though the, the payoff is huge because of the new perspective that can be won for us in the process, it, it still, frankly, can take its toll. And so because of that, we're going to just have a, a short break from our study in the book of Job. Uh, we'll get back into it, however, starting with Job 11 on November 9th. But for the next few weeks, most of our chapel messages will reflect this theme. Theology of singleness, chastity for all, uh, courtship for some. To help us on that journey, The Dating Project, a documentary based uh, on a Boston College philosophy professor's classroom assignments, is going to be aired uh, at multiple times um, over the next uh, several weeks. And so you'll you'll have uh, more information that'll come about that. Um, so stay tuned to Student Ministries social media and to the website uh, to listen to the, the times that that'll air. Um, this mini-series is about gaining insight into singleness, both for those who are relaxed in their singleness and those who are interested in courtship as a pathway to marriage. Some people are single as a Pringle with no desire at all to mingle, and that's perfectly fine, but other people... Um, very much look forward to matrimonial mingling, if you will, one day, should that be part of God's plan. And all of that is good, but, but as we enter this conversation, let's please remember that everyone, everyone enters life single. Did y'all hear that? Like, that's the default setting, that everyone comes into this life single. Singleness is guaranteed but gaining a spouse with whom to exchange sacred vows with is not. Those are the facts. It is problematic then, I think, how Christians at times will highlight marriage at the expense of singleness. In the worst cases, we can even demonize singleness as some kind of lesser, unwanted alternative. But that's actually not how the Bible presents it. Singleness is a high and holy calling. Besides, if every person is single for some portion of life, and increasingly nowadays a longer portion of life, if not for a lifetime, then it seems to reason that people need to be prepared to honor God and in their singleness. Mature friendship is a life skill that positions you well for singleness and for marriage. The New York Times best-selling author of Sex, Jesus, and the Conversations the Church Forgot, Mo Isom Aiken, will be preaching November 2nd and November 4th, offering us guardrails for the relationship dating side of things, which, which leaves me to offer 
just some core principles that should populate how we conceptualize friendship in broad terms. What I <clears throat> share with you may ruffle your feathers. And so I'm just going to say that up front and, and let you know that I'm okay with it. Um, but I just wanted to give you a heads up. Today's popular societal construct reflects a delusional moment as far as I'm concerned, celebrating the belief that in essence and in destination, all roads are equal, that to exclude anyone from anything for any reason is injurious to their soul. This is the foundation of what we call today, what you all call today, cancel culture. The kingdom of God, however, doesn't operate on those same terms. The Bible abounds with prescriptive imperatives requiring uniform application. application. That means everybody got to do it. Like if you're a Christian, this is what you're bound to. But it also abounds with concepts whose application invites variance. For example, not all Christians speak in tongues but they all need to believe that the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is a genuine inhabitant of those who follow Jesus. One Christian maintains a composting pile, let's say, in their backyard and recycles even their recyclables. Another Christian does not. Nevertheless, Scripture obligates that all of Jesus's disciples genuinely care about and take sensible steps to address environmental stewardship. I'll give you one more example. Some Christians observe the Sabbath on Sunday. Other Christians spread that time throughout the week or focus on another day. However, because we know that, as Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man made for the Sabbath, What's most important is that all of us honor the rhythms of rest that God has infused our DNA with, that we would regularly and rightly reflect on where our true identity and where our help are found. All that is to say, if you are a Christian, you simply cannot negotiate with the directive to quite exclusively have Christian friends. I'll explain in a minute, but first, uh, I want you to listen to a sample of the 1984 rhythmic stylings of the then chart topping. Like they were a big deal. Do not sleep on this group. They were a big deal in 1984. The rap group, there were three of them. They go by the name Houdini. Now you can look the word up again and again 
But the dictionary doesn't know the meaning of friends And if you ask me, you know I couldn't be much help Because a friend's somebody you judge for yourself Some are okay and they treat you real cool And some mistake your kindness for being the fool We like to be with some because they're funny Others come around when they need some money Some you grew up with around the way And you're still real close to this very day Homeboys through the summer, winter, spring and fall And in the summer we wish we never knew at all And this list goes on again and again But these are the people that we call friends together we barely knew each other we had no intentions on becoming lovers but in no time at all you became my girl me and you one-on-one -on -one against the world talking on the telephone for hours at a time and else i was at your house or you was at mine and then came the arguments and all kinds of problems besides making love we had nothing in common it couldn't last longer because it started out strong but i guess we went about the whole thing wrong Cause out of nowhere just came to an end Because we became lovers before we were friends Friends How many of us have them? Friends Ones we can depend on Friends How many of us have them? Friends Before we go any further Let's be friends Say you and the girlfriend were so tight You took her out with you and your guy one night She even had a set of keys to your home And you shared mostly everything you own But as she shook your hand, she stole your man And it was done so sweet, it had to be a plan Couldn't trust her with cheese, let alone your keys With friends like that, you don't need enemies You wonder how long it was all going on And you're still not sure if your bladder is gone You say, well, if she took him, he was never mine But deep inside, you know that's just another lie And now you're kind of cold towards people you meet Cause of something that was done to you by some creep But nevertheless, I'll say it again That these are the people that we call friends Friends How many of us have them? Friends Before we go Listen to the word of God found in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. 
Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I live with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, verse 17, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. If I can just pause for a minute, if I was in more charismatic circles, they might say something like, come out from them and be separate. But I, 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 uh, I digress. Um, Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. And verse 18, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The Corinthians were a stubbornly unstable bunch easily influenced by ne'er-do-well thought and and inside and outside of their community. They were just kind of all over the place. Uh, They were being infiltrated from the inside and the outside. They were being, uh, you know, tricked, if you will, by people who were antagonistic to what had been taught to them by God's chosen leaders. As a concerned spiritual father, then, Paul warns them against trading truth for convenience. God is clear that in the end, from the countries from which they've been scattered, he himself will one day gather his people as a display of his majesty. The role that we play in all of this is simply to be in the world, but not of it. From the beginning of this passage, we read, uh, we, we read about how we're, we're, we have this idea of being uh, unequally yoked. That's what we run into right at the beginning. And it isn't to say that Christians are only supposed to find secure jobs with employers whose vision statements are centered somehow on the gospel. I mean, the reality is that an honest day's pay for an honest day's grind at the RCMP, at a a hole in the wall donut shop in Manitoba, at, at Sport Check or BC Children's Hospital is perfectly fine. Within reason, while we're on the clock, we simply rub shoulders with with whomever is is needed in order for us to fulfill our duties. That's real deal adulting. That's life. And yet the private hallways of your personal life are another matter. What this is not about is a triumphalist mindset where because of fear, you restrict interfacing with anyone who does not co-sign your every conviction. It's that kind of hypocritical and hypercritical ecosystem that breeds hate in xenophobic or racist or other iterations of which Jesus has no association whatsoever. Nevertheless, we cannot wiggle our way out of how this passage among others, reveals a spiritual standard that we are accountable to regarding our closest relationships. 
Should we seek the peace and prosperity of the city, of the community, of the nation that we reside in? Loving, serving, striving together, carefully witnessing to those who don't profess faith in Jesus. You show enough our right. As God's people, we should minister to God's creation. But still, I got to tell you that if missionary dating is a bad move, and it is, then applying that same principle to friendship is just as harmful. Let's just say that a Christian guy pursues or dates a woman that he knows is not a Christian, but he proceeds regardless, optimistic that his godly conduct will somehow so mesmerize her that she becomes convinced of Jesus's salvific offer to turn the eternal frown upside down that she has. That's what missionary dating is. When you're you're dating someone, you're spending this intentional time with someone in this romantic venture, when you know that they are not about Jesus and you are about Jesus, that's missionary dating, if you will. We, we know that, that Jesus never hesitated to, to intermingle with people um, that tradition said should repulse him, that he should stay away from people like tax collectors and prostitutes and lepers and Samaritans and women and the poor. Jesus, of course, went on to uh, went so far, if you will, rather to attend clandestine meetings with Nicodemus. So Jesus was all about sort of breaking these social barriers. And he ultimately laid his life down as a ransom to save those who betrayed him and those who vilified him. In John 15, 14, Jesus declared, you are my friends. There's the word friends. If you do what I command. So there's that conditional statement. If you do what I command, you can call me, count me your friend. The famous Joseph Scriffin uh, hymn that we sing, what a friend we have in Jesus, is true only in so much that we have renounced life on our terms and accepted God's good news story. And just so we're on the same page, when I'm speaking of friends, I'm getting at the truest sense of the word. You're going to miss me all day with the universal compartmentalization that has so routinely been applied to these essential matters today. If I ask someone to name their closest friends, Given this construct, it might take 20 minutes off of my life waiting for them to finalize the list because, as you know, they're going to tell me that they have work friends and they have gym friends and then they can't forget about their study friends and their foodie friends and their online friends and their church friends. Got to put Jesus in it. And they have their camping friends. If we were worshiping together in the flesh, I'd tell you to go, go ahead on and tap the person to your left or your right and just tell them everybody isn't your friend. Everybody isn't your friend. If you were so inclined, wherever you are, you could give verbal affirmation to that fact and just tell yourself right now. Other people may look at you like you're strange, but it's all right. You could tell yourself right now, you know what? Everybody is not my friend. I don't care how charming 
I don't care how kind, how hilarious, how bold, how beautiful or smart you are, you do not have 33 friends. Acquaintances, perhaps. Acquaintances are easy to find. They come a dime a dozen. It's not the case with friends. The text could not be any clearer. Verse 14, it says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Why, you ask? The answer is presented in a literal rather than rhetorical question for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? And then Paul continues contrasting the shared properties of light and darkness, Christ and wickedness or Belial, belief and unbelief in the worship of God with the worship of idols. Obviously, then there is no common ground between the, the, any of the set of pairs. If you read in first Corinthians and later into second Corinthians, beyond what we've read today, you discover that the church had been intruded by false teachers, which I mentioned earlier, they were causing dissension and confusion and competition, leading people away from sound doctrine which offers background for why Paul wrote what he wrote, why he, why he went so hard with his words. And while we should not be separatists, so that's not what this is about, we should distinguish and scrutinize who is granted access to the innermost parts of our lives. Surely, friends fit within that paradigm, don't you say? If you are in God's service, if you are counted among those who have surrendered to Jesus, you need friends like Nathan, the court prophet and advisor to the king who told the truth about his sin, about his sin. He, he told David the truth about his sin. And not only that, he did it to his face, which could have got him in a, a whole world of trouble. You can say what you will, but if you follow Jesus, and your friend follows Vishnu or Buddha or L. Ron Hubbard or Muhammad or Haley Selassie, or if you believe that the Bible is true, but your friend subscribes to the Book of Mormon, while there's room for uniqueness with non-essentials, if your friend has not received life and life more abundantly, life in the full from Jesus Christ and Christ alone, please tell me how it is that you both can be that great friends with each other. What can you add to one another? What can you share on the deepest, most intimate levels platonically as friends? People simply cannot give you what they do not have. Put another way, people are incapable of authentically championing you truth that they deem as false. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this, this isn't that what you should want from a friend as a Christ follower, that, that when the going gets tough and you can't see the forest from the trees and the dark night of the soul arrives at your life, that, that you have a small band of brothers, that this is what you should want, that you have a small band of brothers, that you have a small band of sisters, or maybe that you have a small band of brothers and sisters who can speak the word of God to your condition when you just can't bring yourself to do it. Believers who know you and love you, yes, but who love God all the more. And so 
they are happy to laugh so hard with you that their stomach hurts. But they're also happy to provide godly accountability, especially when you wish that they wouldn't, when you wish they would just leave you alone and let you float away into sin. When the breakup happens, when depression descends upon you like a dark cloud, when the terrible twos of the child that you have are getting the best of you, or, or you begin doubting if this whole faith thing is worth the trouble, perspectives that are divergent from the word of God for the people of God will actually hurt you. They're not neutral. May the Lord our God be your anchor in joy and in pain with you till the very end of the age. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope to worship with you at our next broadcast online at livechapel.twu.ca. You can also stay connected with Chapel and Student Ministries by following us on Instagram at TWUChapel and at TWUStudentMin. Much love.